God to have and enjoy it because it's a lot of preaching on sin. It's preaching on people running from God and running from the call in their life. And now we're going to get good. Jonah chapter 3 starts getting good. On the revival side of it, this is where the true revival happens. Not for Jonah. Jonah never gets a revival. He's the anti-revival in all of this. Nineveh is the revival. We are hopefully Nineveh. That's the whole point of this. These people have been squinting their eyebrows and looking at me and all that. We're not, we shouldn't be the Jonas. If we are, then you need to preach more than anybody else does. We're not the Jonas. We shouldn't be the Jonas. Now, we may have sin in our life. We may be the Ninevites. We may not even know any, know any better what we're doing. But revival came to that country, and now we're getting there. Thank God we're, we're going to be there just a little bit. Uh, and we're, we're going to look at it uh, this evening. Chapter uh, number 3, verses 1 through 10. I want to read all 10 verses. And I'm going to try to cover all 10 verses tonight for you. So we're, we're going to look at those. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an, exceedingly, an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and set in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell? Oh, I love this verse. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. There are so many one-verse messages in here that we could preach. Thank you for standing. There are so many one-verse messages we could preach out of these uh, uh, ten, uh, ten verses uh, here this, this evening or this morning. I don't know which one I'm in now. This evening or this morning that we have just uh, read, uh, we could look at, uh, that one verse, number nine, who can tell? Who can tell what God will do? I have no idea. I couldn't sit here and tell you what God is going to do no more than I could tell you that if there's a man walking on the moon, I have no idea what God is going to do. He can do anything he wants to do. We have seen the power of God in our life. I don't know if you've seen it in your life. We've seen the power of God in our life very recently. God could have done anything he wanted to do. We had no idea. And this is what the king is saying. Who can tell? Who can tell? Oh, and then uh, we see, uh, and God saw their works and turned, uh, and that they turned from the evil way. And God repented. What a great title of a message. And God repented. You ever heard a message titled, God repented? Boy, you talk about getting some squished eyebrows at you on that one, man. You'll get that real fast. God don't repent. Oh, yeah, he does. Not of sin, 
But God will turn from one thing to another. He'll turn from destroying Nineveh to not destroying Nineveh. That's repenting, turning from one to another. God will repent. He did it a few times in our Bible. But we have a few verses that we could preach and, and it'll be so wonderful. But to, to get us caught up, in our first message, uh, we looked at verses 1 through 3. We looked at the, or the oration that when God came to Jonah and, jo and God spoke to Jonah, he said, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The word came, came alive to him. Uh, we looked at the order. He told him to arise. And this is going to be important just a little bit, especially this first sermon that we already preached. Told him to arise. To go and to cry. Rise, go, and to cry. And the first time he told him to cry against that city. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Then we saw the objection. The, the objection. Jonah said no. Jonah said, I'm not going to go. He, he boarded a boat, was headed 2,000 miles toward Tarshish, the other direction. Instead of going five or towards Tarshish, if you're looking up here toward Tarshish, 2,000 miles that way, instead of going 500 miles here towards Nineveh, he said, I'm going the other direction. God, I'm not listening to what you got to say to me. I'm out of here. Don't want to hear from you, God. Went down to the bottom of the boat, fell asleep, covered himself up, and was going to sleep straight through his sin. We got a lot of folks in our churches today sleeping through their sin, mm -hmm. sleepwalking right through their own sin. Yeah. Those are the folks that get uncomfortable when you preach in these, these four chapters. 48 verses, and people get so uncomfortable about it. Uh, then we looked at the furious storm. We looked at the fearful sailors. We, put, we looked at the faulty saint and the, the fishes swallow. We looked at all those things. And in uh, sermon number three, we looked at uh, that Jonah dies and uh, he died in the, in, the, in the belly of that great fish or the well, as Christ said. We saw that there was no repentance in, in verse number three. Jonah, there, he was close. He was close to repenting, but then he started preaching to Jesus, if y'all remember that. He, he started saying, those that look to lying vanities. Remember that? And he said that. He started preaching. Everything was about Jonah to start with. And that one verse, number eight, he said, but they that look upon like they are doing that. Not me, God. I'm not doing that. Oh, I tell you, Jonah was all messed up. He said, I'll look to your temple. God, if you will let me out of this fish, I will get back to Jerusalem. I'll go to church. I'll sweep the floors. I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll polish shoes. I'll be right there. I'll call on my knees all the way. I've had somebody tell me that very thing before had done something in the church that they ought not to do, uh, not, not anything real bad, but they were just they were running me down when I wasn't around. When I confronted them about it, and I will do that when it's called for, I, when I confront them about it, they looked and said, I'll do whatever, I will crawl all the way to the altar if you tell me to. I ain't telling you to do nothing. It ain't me. This is between you and God. Anyway. He said, I'll look into your holy temple, God. So we looked at those things. We looked into chapter 1, Jonah's protesting. Chapter 2, Jonah's praying. Chapter 3, Jonah's preaching now. Chapter number 4, Jonah's going to be pouting. So we look at these things that uh, uh, this, this time our focus in chapter number 3 is going to be on these 10, 10 verses. And there are a number of scholars and commentators who have major disagreements with one of the verses we just said, one of the verses have caused such a division. And if they've used this verse as a dividing wedge between the people, then they're trying to do what folks are doing with all other things in the Bible where they're trying to separate each other. Now, I know that's a hard thing to say because I'm a, I'm a preacher who preaches separation. We need to separate from the world. 
We need to get away from the world, get out from under the world system, and get under God's system. So yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor that believes in separating from the world. I don't believe in all the separating we've got going on amongst our churches. I don't think, I, we, I had, we had this Bible study, I recorded it months ago, but it's just hit the airwaves here in the past couple weeks. I don't believe all this junk about premillennial and postmillennial and all millennials should be dividing churches, should be dividing families where they won't speak to each other. Preachers and pastors won't speak to each other. I think all that's to, I think I think it's hogwash. I think it's it's poppycock over all that junk. If you want to believe that there's no millennial reign, that's fine. Believe that, but don't hate me if I don't, and vice versa. I ain't gonna hate you either. I may not invite you to preach out of my pulpit, but we can still get along. Go down maybe to Shoney's and eat. That's all right. I mean, you're not going to brainwash me, and I ain't going to brainwash you. I mean, all this stuff of this dividing wedges that people use. I think I think it's it's. It's awful to what they're doing, but the the verse out of this uh, uh, out of these out of this chapter, uh, these ten verses, is the one where it says that uh, uh, that ever, that all the people. Oh my goodness! Let me find it now. And and turn and turn every one verse number eight. Sorry. And, and, and let them turn everyone from his evil way. They will argue back and forth and say there is no way that every single person in that city would turn from their sin at one time and turn unto God. Can't happen. That's what these guys are saying. And they'll write books about it saying that can't happen. I read one and they're, they're, the writing on the book of Jonah has become its own industry. There's so much literature on the book of Jonah. You, you could make a living for a lifetime writing on the book of Jonah, 48 verses, and never have to work a day in your life. Just write about the book of Jonah, and you could, you could jump in with all the rest of them. But I was reading one of them that said there's so much to read out there about it. I was reading one of them that said, I have an easier time believing that Jonah was swallowed by a whale than I do that an entire city came under the saving grace of God all at one time. He said, I have an easier time believing about it. Are you kidding me? I believe all of it. Yeah. I'm, I, I just, I just think, I, I think I'm crazy. I, I don't know what, to, what people are thinking. I just, I think I'm crazy. But I believe it. I believe that we are at the point that Nineveh was at in America. I believe we are at revival or bust. I think we're at the point where if we don't do something different, our sin thermometer is going to blow out the top and God is going to be done with us. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that that can be discouraging to hear, but if you just, I don't have TV, I don't have the news, I don't have any of that stuff, and I can see it. Yeah. I don't have to have Fox News or CNN to see this mess. We are, we are headed in the wrong direction, and this train has now hit a downhill portion of the track. So I want to look at these things, and, and I want to look at a few of these, these portions here in these 10 verses uh, now we've got our introduction and, kept, and, and being caught up out of the way. I'm going to look at these first four verses, verses one through four out of Jonah chapter number three. I notice a few things about this. Number one, I notice the nature of what's happening. The nature here of what's happening. I notice there is a wonderful compassion. There is a wonderful compassion here in these few verses. What, is, what do you say? What is that preacher? The chapter starts with a great comfort from God. Look what it says in verse number one. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I will never in my life 
understand the grace and the mercy of God. You could explain it to me, and was that not a beautiful explanation of, 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 of faith and works that we just had? Just Was that not a beautiful illustration, explanation, so clear? And, and for that to come from, from a, a young mind like this, you know that he's going somewhere in this world of ministry. Such a beautiful picture. You could lay out a picture as beautiful and as easy to see as that was. I still would not understand the mercy and the grace of God. There's no illustration that's going to make me understand it any better or any easier than I don't understand it today. God's grace. For him to come to Jonah a second time after all this. For him to come and talk to him again. I remember watching a, uh, the testimony of this uh, NFL player. He's a lineman. He's a big old man. Burly man. And I, I, can't, I can't remember his name. I've, I've tried for the life of me to remember his name, but I can, I can see his face. I can see the beard and all that that he had. But this was years after his playing was over with, and man, he, he had got involved in, uh, in FCA and, and things like that, working with the Christian athletes. And I was watching an interview of him. I remember the background. He was in a room. It was kind of like a whitish room with white bookshelves and, and all those things. And they were talking about him and his salvation experience. And he, this big, nasty lineman, he was, he was known as a, uh, a very brutal player in the NFL. He's sitting there, and as he begins to talk about his testimony, big old crocodile tears rolling down this chiseled, chiseled face of this man. And they're just pouring down. And, and he, says, he says, you know, when I was a young man, God came, and I remember when he spoke to me. My parents took me to church like they were supposed to do. And he said, I turned from God and walked away. He said, I wanted nothing to do with him. He could have killed me on the spot. He could have killed me while I was playing football. He could have killed me when I was in the NFL. He could have killed me when I got out of the NFL. But for some reason, he said, he's just crying. Those big old tears. He said, for some reason, God thought enough of me to come back and offer me a chance of salvation again in my life. How God thinks of us when we turn our back on Him, when we run from Him, when we're hiding in the belly of a boat from Him, when we're sleeping in our sin and, and, for, and forgot all about what God's told us to do, and for Him to come back again and to say, Hey, do you remember me? Because I sure remember you. And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah. What a great test. What a great a visual picture of the grace and mercy of the Lord. He could have killed Jonah. Had I been God, and I've said this oftentimes, I probably would have killed the children of Israel. Had I been God in this situation, I probably would have just let Jonah die in the well. I'd let him get on the boat and run to Tarshish and say, you get what you deserve, son. Uh, just keep on the trucking out that way and see what you get in Spain. I would have let them all go if I was God. I don't know. I just know my mind. I don't think I, I could even uh, stomach the idea of giving them another chance after all the whining and complaining uh, that the children of Israel do all through the, uh, the Old Testament and to question God and all those things. It's a wonder he never killed them. But the grace and the mercy and the love of God continually came to him. Aren't you glad that God does not love us like we love him? God does not love us. He does not return likeness for likeness with us. Right. And he tells us not to do the same thing with one another. Henry Morehouse preached his first revival message here in Chicago at, at D.L. Moody's church. And he, continue, he, he continually asked Brother Moody to come preach over and over and over. Every time uh, uh, Dr. Moody would go over overseas and he would ask him all the time, well, finally, 
He said, I need you to get that boy over here. Let him preach. I'm going to be going out of town. You let him preach. And if he does a good job, have him back uh, for another night, another night, another night. And so uh, uh, Dr. Moody goes out of town and they have the, uh, Dr. Morehouse, or Henry Morehouse at that time comes in to preach. He was a young man. And they called him the baby face or the beardless preacher. And he comes in the first night while, uh, while Dr. Moody was gone and he preaches on John 3, 16. And he, they, they, the, the people loved it so much. You see, D.L. DL Moody was a hard preacher. He was a preacher on sin. He was a preacher that would not make it in most of Baptist churches today. You talk about wrinkled foreheads, but there'd be some wrinkled foreheads. Now, the offering plate would be, uh, it wouldn't be as big as we got here. It'd be a little Tupperware we'd pass around. There wouldn't be no offering in the plate, I promise you. Uh, but anyway, uh, he come in and he was preaching a different message uh, than Moody's church had heard in a long time. He was preaching the love of God. And so they had him back on the Tuesday night and he preached John 3.16. And they had him back on a Wednesday night and he preached John 3.16. They had him back on a Thursday night and he preached John 3.16. Had him back on a, a Friday night. And guess what? John 3, 16. Had him back on a Saturday. John 3, 16. And Dr. Moody came back in town on that Sunday. And they said, uh, Dr. Moody, I think we got to have him back on Sunday morning. You've got to hear this boy preach. And he said, all right, have him on back. Henry Morehouse gets up in the pulpit that Sunday. And he looks out over the crowd. And he said, I've prayed and contemplated over this morning's message. And I feel no other verses is good to turn to. And let's turn to John 3.16. Seven services in a row. He preached John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I will never understand why God loved me so much. I'll never understand why he loved Jonah so much. Why he loved the children of Israel so much. But what I can say is I thank God he gives me a second chance. Amen. There is a wonderful compassion we see in the verses here in front of us, uh, the song that comes out, and I don't know, maybe these boys could sing it for us here in just, in just a little bit. But the, the song says, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. I tell you, to write the love of God in our life, to try to pin that down. I was just asking a doctor a question, uh, uh, just not here too long ago, as a matter of fact. and It was dealing with my mama, and I kept looking at the doctor, and I said, what would you do if it was your mama? What would you do if it was your mama? And finally, this doctor, he was an Indian man, and he had that little accent, and he turned around. He said, son, you know you asked some hard questions. I said, I want to know what you would do if it was your mama. What kind of decision would you make, doc? I didn't let up on him. I kept bearing down on him. Now, the one little girl, she said, I can't answer the question, and she walked out of the room. Uh, but I kept asking, what would you do? What would you do if it was your mama? Do you tell me what you would do? Oh, I tell you what, I don't know what I would do, but I know God. God loves me. Yes, sir. God loves me. Wonderful compassion. We see the words of commission that he gave to Jonah. The words of commission. Look at, look at verse number two. He says, arise, go. But wait a minute now. That third one changes. Remember before it was arise, go, and cry against. It's not what he says this time. He says, arise. That's the same. Go. That's the same. He's going to Nineveh. And he says, preach. Huh. Wait a minute now. Arise. Go 
and cry against it. Rise, go, and preach. Two totally different commands given by God. And I want to try to look at that in these words of commission. I don't think that, and I pray that I'm not mishandling these verses. I, I don't want to do that at all. But I don't think in chapter number one of Jonah that we saw any repenting from, from Jonah. I don't think we saw it anywhere in those, uh, what is it, 17 verses in chapter one? Yeah, 17 yeah. verses. We didn't see one word of repentance from Jonah, did we? Yeah, you're right. For chapter number two, did we see one word of repentance from Jonah? I did not see one. He preached a little bit to God. He got a little preachy on him. He tried to tell God a few things, but I don't ever saw it. I never saw a repent. I never saw somebody who was saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Now, here we are in chapter number three. We just read 10 verses. I don't read where Jonah ever repented. Right. Did he go? He went. But I think Jonah... I think Jonah went reluctantly. And you'll find out. I might as well go ahead and burst the bubble. Chapter number four. Jonah does not repent in chapter number four. In fact, he gets downright mad at God. He gets angry with God. Starts talking back to God about saving those filthy people down there. And cutting down his gourd bush, God. I've not one time seen Jonah repent the anti-revival, but God still sends him to do a great work. Jonah was not right in chapter 1. Jonah was not right in chapter 2. Jonah is not right in chapter 3. Jonah will not be right in chapter number 4. Some of us here uh, in our church, some of us here in churches across this county, in churches across this state, are exactly like Jonah. We'll live in our filthy sin over and over and over. We'll reluctantly go to church. We'll, re we'll be drug in because if I don't go, the preacher's going to say something to me. He'll probably preach on it the next time I show up to church. So I better just go and get it over with. Folks, that's why, and thank God for it right now. I don't know why, but I thank God that he has not turned my attention upon church attendance yet. It does not bother me. if you. I don't care if we've got five or 50 in here. I'm going to preach what God has told me to preach the way that God has showed me to preach it. I don't care if we're preaching sin or salvation. We're going to preach the, whether I'm standing in this pulpit, another pulpit somewhere on the side of the river at Metcalf. I don't care. We're going to preach the word of God the way he told me to preach it. Yes, sir. And if people don't want to show up, that's on you. That's between you and God. Because there wasn't one person, not one person that I could read in all 48 of those verses that made Jonah. The fishermen didn't make Jonah. The people in Tarshish didn't make Jonah. There wasn't a scribe, Pharisee, or anybody else one that made Jonah. That fisherman got some out and they threw him overboard. Jonah said, I'd rather die than go there. Not even God could make him go. Not even God. Who am I to start harping on people? I'm going to tell you you need to be here for your own good. I ain't going to harp on you. I won't, I won't harp on your church attendance. That's between you and God. But when you find, up, find yourself lying in a nasty, stinking fish gut somewhere in the yeah. deepest part of the ocean, and you want to come crying in here saying, I don't know why I'm here. Why my whole life's falling apart? 
There's 48 verses in the Old Testament that will say exactly why your life is falling apart. I got five people here. That's awfully hard. That's awfully hard. Lynn, if you'd get right, I wouldn't have to preach this stuff. I think we're narrowing it down, Lynn. Jonah went against God. I believe Jonah, I think, let me say this, and I'm going to say it carefully. I think God sent revival to Nineveh in spite of Jonah. Yeah. And do you know that there's a preacher very local to you right now that's praying that God is going to send revival to his church in spite of some of the people at the church? In spite of some of the things going on in people's lives? In spite of sin being in the camp? There's a preacher somewhere close to you in a, in a district near you today that's praying, God, send revival to us in spite of some of the people that we have. And that's hard. But I want revival. I don't want, I don't want to be the Nineveh that got left out in other people's ideas of saying, those people couldn't all. There was some of them that didn't come under the grace of God. Some of them died and went to hell. I don't want to be caught up in that group that they say was out. I want to be part of the Nineveh that came under the power and the glory and the grace of God in spite of folks who didn't want to see it, in spite of folks who didn't want to see revival, in spite of other preachers that don't want to see this little church go for him, in spite of all those things. I want God to send revival to this place and revive our hearts. Amen. I think... Nineveh. Nineveh was approximately about 500 miles from Jonah's current location. Walking an average of 20 miles a day, Jonah had about a one-month journey. I think that journey gave Jonah time to contemplate, time to pray, maybe even time to repent. We don't know. He doesn't tell us that. I can't assume that. But something happened in that one- to two-month journey. And I think what God said... This is just me conjecting in my own mind. But I think what God said was, okay, buddy, you don't really want to go, but you're going. Guess what? I've had the Holy Ghost over there. He's already softening the people's heart, whether you go or not. Revival's coming to that place, buddy. Revival's headed there. I hope that God is already softening the hearts of the people down at Gilead. I hope he's already sent the Holy Ghost in. And he's just a, he's just a massaging those hearts and the spirits of the people. How that whenever Brother Pace walks in that back door on a Monday night, he won't have to say the first word. And revival break out in here. And I have to sit and wonder say, what in the world are these people doing? Revival doesn't hit us. Why well, you on your way here, revival hit. God sent revival in spite of the man. We see the nature. But then we see the numbers. I want to look at this because this is, this is very interesting. Y'all okay? Am I okay to keep going? Yeah. All right. I want to look at this. The Bible says that it was a great city. It says that there in your Bible somewhere. In chapter number three. Oh, where is it at? Great city. Uh, chapter three, or verse three. Mount Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. That's a, that's a confusing uh, verse to a lot of folks. We're going to try to explain that the best way we can here for you. Bible uses the word great 13 times in the Hebrew. But only once is 
but only uh, but only in New Testament are translated great eight times. So thirteen times in your uh, Hebrew and the New Testament is eight times. If you casually read Jonah, if you're studying Jonah and you see this word great city, it would just assume you just assume that Nineveh was large. That's what it would read like. But I think there's more to it than that. I think whenever it says that Nineveh was a great city, I think Nineveh was the capital city. I think Nineveh was not only the capital city, I think Nineveh was large in number. We'll see numbers later in the Bible. I think Nineveh was a large city. No, 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 I think Nineveh was a large city. I think in, in population, I think Nineveh was a large city in area. I think the word great here has more than just big city. I think Nineveh was an important cog in what God was trying to accomplish in that area at that time. I don't think he randomly chose Nineveh. I think it was a great city. Just to give you an idea, and it was, it was wonderful when I had these slides that I was going to have and I had all these things on there and, and all that, but we'll just leave this up here. I think I can borrow your imagination here for just a moment. Has anybody ever traveled south on 75, Miss Ford? I know you hadn't, so don't worry about answering that question. I know you have in the past, but not any time recently. But you ever traveled south on 75 and you sure. get down into Atlanta and you can take, I think it's a 285 bypass that goes around Atlanta. Y'all ever took the 285 bypass? Yep. So, all right. So the 285 bypass is 61 miles long. Almost, almost makes a circle, 61 miles. So you kind of whoop, you loop around Atlanta like that. So you almost complete that circle whenever you get on the 285 bypass. If Nineveh was a three-day journey, the way that would typically, typically be interpreted is if I started here at Nineveh and walked around the city, it would take me three days to get back to where I first started. At 20 miles a day, at the average pace, that's 60 miles around the city. The same as I-285. Nineveh was a city of about, oh, a million people or so, roughly. Now, the reason why, I'm going to turn back here and grab you some numbers because you, you'll, not, you'll, you'll not believe this. I, I just, I can't believe this is even, I'm even going to say this because this is just unimaginable. For Nineveh, for everyone in Nineveh to repent and come to God at the same time, it would be the same as the cities of Knoxville, Chattanooga, Clarksville, Murfreesboro, Maryville, Farragut, Sevierville, Seymour, Alcoa, all having revival at the same time. Now you know why people look at that and say, ain't no way that can happen. Then what God are they serving? Right. Because I serve a great big old God. I serve a God who can save a million people at one time if he wants to. I serve a God who can destroy a million people at one time if he wants to. He showed us that in Sodom and Gomorrah. It would be the same as the entire state of Rhode Island getting saved at one time. 1.3 million people. It'd be the same as the entire state of Montana. Every soul in Montana gets saved at one time. That's what happened in Nineveh. Vermont and Wyoming combined. The same. Think of Think if you heard of that happening. An entire state. You can't believe these things. That's, that's hogwash. That, well, that don't, that don't, those kind of things don't happen. I beg to differ. 
because I believe. I believe. As I was already said, these aren't characters. These aren't stories. These are accounts. These are real things. These are facts. Historically accurate evidence can be backed up in the entire Bible. It was a three-day journey. The Bible refers to Jerusalem as a great city, and it's not really large. It was a great city because it was important in what was happening. There are other cities that God selects as great cities. But I think the great city here means that not only was it a capital city, it was an important city, it was a large city in population, and it was a large city in, in area. This will be important in a little bit in our study. But the Bible goes on to say this is a three-day journey. Three days around the city. I don't think it was, I know what people start thinking, maybe not here, but on a normal basis. Well, preacher, it could be a three days journey straight through the middle. I don't think so. Because there's not many cities over there that if you took that circumference of 60 miles straight across, three days journey straight across, and then you figured up that area, that's a big old place. Nineveh wasn't that big. I think we're going in a circle. So can you follow me on that? Do I, am, I, am I mishandling this? Does it sound, do I, I mean, I've tried to study this out good enough for us. So, so he walked, there's this three-day journey that it would take to get around. And the three days is important in your Bible. Three days, Lazarus was dead. Three days that, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, Jonah was in the belly of the well. Three days that Jesus was in the grave. Three days, things are important, but guess what? I'm glad for every third day in the Bible, there's a fourth day. Yep. I'm glad for every third day of something being dead in the Bible, there's a fourth day when it comes alive. For three days, he was in the belly of the well, and this uh, city was on its way to destruction. But on the fourth day, when he spit him up out of his mouth, on the fourth day, God saved an entire city. I thank God for that. Three days. Three days journey. I believe that saying that Nineveh was dead in their trespasses and sin by grace through faith and by the witness of their works, God can save their souls. I believe it's by grace through faith, not by works. We have discussed the factions of people in the time that said that Jonah was not actually not actually real and I don't really want to go back and discuss that account in my own life but there are so many detractors out there that say Jonah is not I, I, I'm, I'm beginning to believe I'm beginning, not, I'm not Terry I'm beginning to believe there's more people today that believe that Jonah is a fictional fairy tale story than a real account yeah. I'm beginning to believe that because there's more and more propaganda being uh, pushed out by Satan and by his little uh, demon nymphs out there that are these apostates that are writing these commentaries that are leading people astray that are saying that Jonah is not real. Oh. I think that God could save that whole great city. Amen. I think... As bad as America is, God can save this whole country. Yes, sir. 
330 million people. Is that right? Am I close on that? Uh, roughly 340, I think. That's somewhere around election time. There's about that many that, that, that vote anyway. Uh, three, four, three, 400 million people in America. I think that 350, 400 million people in America could all be right with God all at one time if God so desired for the horse to be turned unto him. I think it could happen. Do I think it will happen? I think the hearts of wax gross in America. Yeah. I think the hearts have been seared with a hot iron, as the Bible says. I think the heart is too far gone for a, a lot of the folks in our area. I think the hearts are too far gone. But could it happen? If God so chooses. If God sends his Holy Ghost in here to start massaging those hearts, you better believe it happened. I don't know. Lord doesn't come back in the next little while. Bibles, the Bible says that Jonah was resurrected out of that whale's mouth, out of the whale's belly. And that Jesus was resurrected out of that grave, to the mouth of that grave. You know, if... I'm chasing a rabbit here, so bear with me just a moment. These folks that are saying that the book of Jonah is not real. And if Matthew chapter number 12 and verse number 40, if my Lord and my Savior says, just as, just as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. That tells me that on the fourth day, there's going, to be, there's going to be a new life for all people. Mm-hmm. We know that he rose on the third day, but follow me on that fourth day uh, thought here for just a moment. On the fourth day, on the fourth day, he wasn't dead anymore. I'm so thankful. Yes. And for these folks who say that Jonah isn't real, and that's not really important in the Bible, folks, let me tell you, if the Lord doesn't come back in the next 20 years, and nature takes its course, I'm going to need a Savior who's alive out of the grave to raise my mama and to raise my daddy up so we can be together again in heaven. If nature takes its course, one of these days I'm going to go by the grave. If nature takes its course, my daughter will go. I need a Savior who is alive, who came out of the belly, who came out of the, of the heart of the earth, I, just as Jonah came out of the belly well, to raise me from the dead. Yes, I'm, going to need, I'm going to need one. Oh, this city that was dead in its trespasses and sins. They had new life today. One of these days, I'm going to need a new life. I'm going to need to be resurrected. Whether I'm alive and remain or whether I'm dead in Christ, I'm going to need to be resurrected into a new life. I'm going to need that. Oh. Now, I want to move on here. I, I chased that rabbit far enough. I, that was just a one little sentence in my note there. We went a little too far with it. Let me get back to this. Look at verse number four. And Jonah began to enter into the city. How far does that say he went? A day's journey. One day's journey. I don't really know what that means. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little stumped on this one. Because we've just determined that we figure by all logical math that this city is 
is, is, a, is a, 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 a three-day journey around it, right? A three-day journey. And if Jonah walks in one day's journey, if he walks straight for one day, I think he's going to walk out the other side of Nineveh. I think, I think he would walk past Nineveh. I, 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 I'm not real sure on the math. Geometry wasn't a strong suit. But I think if you got a circumference of that, of that 60 mile and you walk 20 miles straight that way, you're almost going to walk out of it. You'd be pretty close anyway. Regardless, I don't know if Jonah walked straight one day or if Jonah come in and he took a right face and he walked one mile around the edge of that city. I don't know which one he did, but there is one thing I'm certain of. He went one day of a three-day journey. Jonah had no intention of preaching to that whole city. Jonah had no intention of spreading the gospel. Jonah had no intention of preaching to those people, to those Ninevites. He wanted to get in, do the job, and get out. And he walked in one day's journey. And look what the Bible says he did. God told him to arise and go and to preach unto thee. He, he told him back in the, in the first chapter to go and to preach 40 days and you'll be overthrown. Remember that? Well, God's changed a little bit. Remember, he, God has repented of that. He's changed from going to destroy Nineveh. He sent the Holy Ghost now. He sees the hearts are softened. So God has changed from overthrowing them now. Now he just wants somebody to go preach to them. Mm -hmm. Now they're, they're on the bubble now. They're right there. They're, they're teetering. They just need somebody to push them over the edge. God says, I want you to go preach to them. Preach them a message to them. Jonah says, all right, God. You want me to preach a message? I'll preach you a message. What Jonah do? It says that Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be Overthrown. Eight words in our English vocabulary. Five words in the Hebrew vocabulary. I've got them written down. I don't think I can say them. Od Ebrahim Yon Winahiah Nefpeket. That sounds anything like it's supposed to be. I have no idea, but we'll say it's close. Five, he walks one day journey into a three-day city, he says five words, turns about face, and walks himself right back out. And as we find in chapter number 10, goes and sits on the hill to watch God destroy and kill every last one of them. But he forgot one thing. He forgot the mighty work of God. Right. God took a five-word message and saved a whole city. God took an eight word English message and he saved a whole city. And there are men out there who are writing about that and they're saying there ain't no way, ain't no way he walked in one day, said five words, walked out and the whole city got saved. It can't happen that way. Right. Go and tell Paul that. When Paul said 11 words uh, to the Philippian jailer and that man got saved, his whole world was turned upside down. Uh, the whole place began to shake. 11 words that was said that day. That's twice as many. Oh, I think five words, eight words, 
11 words. I've seen a revival break out over in Taylorsville, North Carolina when the preacher got up one night. He was the first preacher of a two-preacher night, Brother Lynn. And they got them two preachers at night. How They got them four preachers in the morning stacked deep. And they just run them in, preach them, and get them out and preach another one. And everybody loves it. And they're shouting from the beginning all the way to the ending from 10 a.m. until about 11 p.m. right now. Miss Ford, you've been over there. They shout her down until they break for lunch. They come back and shouting from lunch. And they'll shout it all the way to supper time. And that preacher got up to first on that night. And I, I can't remember who it was. Was. I think it's brother Mike Soup. I can't remember now. But he got up and he said, Turn up. No, no, it's brother Joe Arthur. That's who it was. He got up and brother Joe Arthur said, I want you to turn in your Bible over to John chapter number seven and verse number whatever it was in the book of John. And the first word in that verse oh, was Jesus. And he stopped there and he said, Woo, oh, let me back up and hit that again. And he said, Jesus. And there's a four or five of them started shouting. And he said, Let me back up and hit it again. Jesus. And there's a whole section of shouting. And he said, Jesus. And another section started shouting, Jesus. They had to shut the camp meeting down. The rest of the night, people running the pews, swinging from the rafters, people on the altar getting saved. Before the night was over with, midnight, and they're still shouting. One word was preached and revival happened. Five words, I don't know if they could have handled it that night. One word was all it took, the name of Jesus. And the whole place broke out in revival that night. Oh, heaven help my soul. Five words is enough in my book to save a whole city. One word would have been enough. Oh, but he says, I'll go and I'll preach a message, God. And that's it. 286 square miles. One million souls were reached out of a five-word message. Jonah was reluctant to go. He was scared. I think he was more scared. I think the reason why Jonah went reluctantly, I think he, I think that he thought the whale had a big brother out there just waiting on him to get back on a boat somewhere. And I think he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach so that whale will stay away from me. And that's exactly what he did. I think he went and preached that message reluctantly. And he went and sat on that hill. And just go ahead and finish out that chapter. God saved a whole bunch of them. And leave one of them out. Oh, let me tell you. God said, cry against it in chapter 1. He said to preach unto it in chapter number 2. To cry unto it. There's a difference when you're crying against and when you're crying unto I believe that God had already started uh, that revival. And while Jonah, while Jonah, while Jonah, I was running in the belly of that ship, God was already reviving hearts in Nineveh. Yep. Oh, the anti-revival running and the revival over here happening all at the same time. Folks, let me tell you this. Here's just a nugget for our church. I'm, just stay, I'm trying to stay in the Bible tonight. I ain't trying to meddle in your stuff. I'm just wanting to preach the Bible. But let me meddle in our church here for just a moment. I think I've got a right to say this. We will have revival here whether people want it or not. If God sends revival our way, if we are wanting revival, if our hearts are softened to it, we can have revival here no matter how many people might be reluctant about it. You're right. God can send revival to us right here. I remember I remember working on a, uh, a job. My daddy had a job, and they had one of those June apple trees. Y'all remember those June apple trees? 
Hey, you go pick them, those, uh, those apples off of that, man. And, man, they were nice and ripe. They were so good. And you know what was happening the whole time? You could go out there and pick one of them apples early. Uh, but it wasn't ready yet. And you could take one of them apples off, and they'd be sour, and they'd be hard, and they'd be mealy, and all those kind of things. You had to do a whole lot of work. You had to go home and cut it up and cook it, and all those, and all those get those uh, sugars to start exploding out of it. Then it might be good for something. Uh, but I tell you what, you let that thing hang on the vine for a little while, and you let it ripen on that tree, and you go and pick you one of them June apples and take a bite out of it, and them juices just flowing down the corners of your mouth on a good hot day. Oh, I tell you what, how sweet that is. Uh, while the while it's hanging on the tree, a softness. There's some folks in our church I believe are softening up on the tree Softening up on the vine And all they're ready is for a good picking I think it's going to happen July the 10th I think there's a picking day coming In July the 10th there's going to be some folks That are going to be ready For revival And if there ain't nobody else ready in this place For revival on July the 9th and July the 10th and 11th and 12th, 13th and 14th. And I pray to God we got her extender the next week and we'll find a preacher or we'll just pick her up ourselves and keep on going. But if ain't nobody else wants one, I want a revival in this place. And I'm longing for it. Jonah. Jonah. In chapter number three. Let's look. I want to finish out tonight. I want to finish out here. And I don't want to miss this up. I don't want to mess up what God has given us. I want to look at verses 5 through 10 now. And I will do this hurriedly. I won't take as long as I did the first four verses. I promise you. We see in verses number 1 through 4, Jonah's commission. But now look at verse number 5 through the first part of verse number 10. We see Jonah's confession. Jonah's confession. Or Nineveh, sorry, Nineveh's confession. Jonah's commission. Nineveh's confession. Number 1. We see the rest repents. Uh, the next six verses uh, use, uh, uh, show us a great picture of salvation as you'll find anywhere in your King James Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. It's some of the best preaching if you want to, if you want to preach a salvation message. Jonah chapter number 3 verses 5 through 10. It's some of the sweetest ripe pick, uh, ready to go message you'll ever have. And great words from a man's preaching a selfish message that didn't want to be there and didn't want to see the people of God saved. God took those eight words or the five words, whichever you say, and reached across a 280 square mile. And he pricked the heart of every one of those one million people there. And Nineveh, they all got saved. Uh, the rest of the folks there uh, repented and came unto God. The Bible says that they fasted and they put on sackcloth and they sat in ashes. I feel confident in saying this. And I think we've already heard it tonight. And brother, I think that God was in everything that's happened here this morning at 11 o'clock. And I think he's been in everything that's happened at 3 o'clock here this evening. But I'll tell you this. That those verses right there show a great truth in our Bible. Which is faith without works is dead. These folks had faith that God could save their soul. But there had to be some works that go along with it. So what they do? They strip her down. They put on the sackcloth. They sit in ashes. They said, God, this is the best we got for you. We ain't got nothing to give to you. We're going to give you the best we got. God, it's got to be from you. Faith with the works came through that day. Yes. Faith with the works. They denied their requirements. 
They, they fasted. They took their clothing. They, uh, they put themselves uh, uh, last. Uh, uh, they put the, themselves last on their list and first on God's list. And we need to do the same thing. Uh, they declassed their reigns. They declassed their reigns. They all put on sackcloth. Uh, my wife, uh, she loves to people watch. And most of the time our date and I is turned into her uh, watching people as we'll sit and, and watch people. And you can tell pretty quick uh, how they rank on the, uh, the social economic standing, whether they're rich or whether they're poor and, and all those things. Uh, when you just look at somebody. Uh, but that day when you walked into Nineveh, you couldn't tell who was rich. You couldn't tell who was poor. You couldn't tell who was a sinner. You couldn't tell who was a saint. You couldn't even tell who was a king and who was a peasant. God came in that day and saved the souls of those people. And through their faith, uh, they declassed themselves and said, we all belong to you, God. You're right. Well, God came through. Oh, they declassed the ranks. Let me move on. I don't want to founder the flock here tonight. They declassed the ranks. They go on. Oh my goodness, I got I got three pages. Three pages I could preach on that. Not only do we see the rest that repents, we then see the ruler that repents. I'll try not to belabor this. But it says, uh, he calls it, for the word came into the king and he rose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and set in ashes. Not only did the rest of the people repent first, but then the ruler saw it and he said, you know what, there's something to this. And he took that priestly robe off, that kingly robe, and he laid it off from him. And he put on that sackcloth and sat down in them ashes. Thank God. Thank God that there's some folks in leadership around who could say, I'm just as worthless as anybody else. I know whenever I come in here, I got my cufflinks on and, and all those things. I got my little flower in my lapel. And Brother Billy just gave me a watch today. Uh, Lord help it. Uh, you're going to be able to read the time from back there. The thing is so big on my arm. I got to get it to where it fits me. So I know that when I come in, I know people look and say, well, he must got like, all kinds of money and all those things. But folks, ain't it nice to have a leader? And I don't want to brag on myself, and I'm not trying to do that. But ain't it nice to have a leader who will put himself down where you're at and not walk high and lofty upon the stage uh, somewhere from a back room uh, walking through a beaded curtain or a laser light show speak to you for a few moments and walk away to never see them again. Ain't it nice to have a leader who will put themselves down where you're at? Ain't it nice to have a leader who will put themselves up under you? Ain't it nice to have a leader that will say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace like you are? Oh, heaven help. I really ought not to say this, but we ain't live streaming, so I'm going to take a liberty to say her. There was a lady out of Ohio uh, whenever we were preaching on our, uh, when we were preaching on our uh, uh, services, we were told, what was that called? Live stream services. And we got off on that tangent this morning. And there's a lady from Ohio. Uh, she got on and watched one of the messages I had there from the tabernacle. And boy, uh, she let her have me. Uh, she got on there and she said, how dare you uh, call all the people in your congregation sinners. You ought not to be using that kind of language. 
Oh, when you're preaching to people, you need to build them up, make them feel good, and not talk down to them, make them feel like dirty, rotten dogs. Oh, let me just go ahead and say this. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. That is not my point. I don't want to hurt your feelings. So just in case anybody in here may be confused where I stand, Sinner, 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 sinner. We all are sinners. Uh, Romans 3, 23 still stands today. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, so I got back on there. And I don't usually do Facebook or talk to anybody. So I got back on there and I said, yes, ma'am. In fact, down here at the tabernacle, we're a pretty rough bunch of crowd. And we got a whole lot of sinners in here that need the saving grace of God. So we're going to keep on preaching to sinners. But you highfalutins at your church, you keep on doing what you're doing. But I'm going to pray that every one of you sinners get right with God too. And she needed to hear it as bad as I wanted to say it. Oh, aren't you glad you got somebody who will put their self down in the ditch of a sinner with you and not look down upon you for being a sinner, for I am one too. Oh, the ruler repented. And then we see the repentance that is, that is revealed. I want to I do something here real quick. I just, got a, I just got a page or two left. Miss Janie, is that all right if I finish these last couple pages? Are we okay? All right, thank you, Miss Janie. I'll take that as a yes. Now, let me do something here. It's going to sound like I'm running a rabbit. But you'll see how God can use all the resources at his disposal to stir the heart of a sinner. And we know that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, which in the Hebrew, that word is dag. D-A-G, dag. And the God that was worshipped in Nineveh at this time was Dagon. D-A-G-O-N. And guess what he was a god of, Brother Lynn? He was a fish god. He was a fish god. He was half man and he was half fish. And we also know the people at this time were living under a different dispensation. And superstition had a great deal. Paul told a man on Mars Hill had a great deal of control over the people. And even good men and good women in our Bible superstition had a hold of them at times. And around 200 years prior to Jonah uh, preaching his five-word message here in Nineveh, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant and they took it into the house of Dagon. We all know what happened the first night. Dagon uh, flat on his face and they could come in and they, they stood him back up and said, wait a minute now. Dagon don't need to be laying on the floor. And they picked her up and put her right back on the, uh, the podium where he ought to be. And the next night they come in, guess what? Dagon laying on the ground, head cut off, hands cut off. And they looked at Dagon. And they looked at the ark. And they looked at Dagon. And they looked at the ark. And one of them boys said, are you feeling something funny? And the other boy said, yeah. I think I got what's called a hemorrhoids. And he said, I think there's something with that ark over there. We need to get her gone. Go read your chapter. That's what happened to them. Hemorrhoids struck every one of your Bible will tell you that. And they said, we need to do something with that ark and get that thing out of here. Uh, so the following morning they came in and they took it out of there. And these people were plagued with the tumors. And they sent it to another city. And they were plagued. And they sent it to another city. And they were plagued. And doing the math, it seems that the ark was in the, the, day, the house of Dagon. Whoop, how many days and nights? 
three days and three nights. Boy, it's all over the Bible. It's everywhere three days and three nights. God is, if God's somewhere three days and three nights, he's coming out of there. I can tell you that right now. He ain't staying there very long. He's in there three days and three nights. And it took him out. And so then, uh, the, the, uh, the first Samuel says that uh, no one would dare cross the threshold, threshold of Dagon's house. And after that, uh, they wouldn't even go in there. Uh, they wouldn't do it. And it's also known at the time of Jonah that the people of that area took very detailed notes as to what was happening on their clay tablets. And history records will show and will prove that during that time, there was a total eclipse that covered over the area of Nineveh. So let me connect the dots here for a moment and see if we can find some reasoning to all these rabbits I just chased, Brother Lynn. I promise you I'm going to connect this thing out and it's going to be astonishing here just in a moment. So Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Dagon. But Jonah conquered that fish. And the word began to spread. There was a man in a fish's belly. And he conquered that fish. And they all started happening. Hey, do you remember when Dagon was conquered by the ark? Oh, there's something to this, boys. And so the 500 mile journey, a word and rumor had already started spread that the one that overcame Dagon was about to come into Nineveh. And the eclipse that they believed was a sign from God was still fresh upon their mind. And here, God, in killing this man, this God, Killing man walks in, uh, says 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And they look at this man, and I believe fear struck their hearts. Their own superstition that they had over their fish god. They said, this God conquering fish man just said we're going to be overthrown. Boys, we better start praying unto somebody. You say, that can't happen, preacher. I go back just a few days before this. And what happened on that boat to them old boys who were praying all to their gods? They tossed Jonah overboard. And the Bible says as soon as his feet touched the water, uh, the, the water becomes still. And what all them fishermen start doing? They didn't pray to their God anymore. They were done scared out of their life. They started praying unto Jonah's God that day. Yep. Them boys got saved. They got right with God that day. Thank God. Amen. Thank God. For the rumor that made it. And we could preach a little while on the thought. I've heard a rumor. Folks, let me tell you, I've heard a rumor. Jesus is coming back. Amen. I've heard a rumor that the one that conquered the grave, he's on his way back. If we look at God and the revival that he's seen in chapter number three, what a beautiful picture. He will use what we believe to be of God, which is actually of the devil, he'll use it against us to turn us back into him. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful picture of revival we have. Boys, y'all want to come and sing a song for these folks that are here? Oh, we'd love to have you sing tonight before we send them home. God has been so good to us. And here's something great. Get this. There's only five people, six counting me in this church, that's ever going to hear Jonah chapter number three preached. Because I've tried to, I've tried to promise God that I'll never preach her again. I won't open a book of Jonah for as many years as he'll allow me not to open the book of Jonah. 
Oh, and you all are the only ones that's ever going to get to hear it. Ain't nobody else going to know what happens in chapter number three. But God sends a great revival. And chapter